0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. As a teenager, I loved to go to see... Punk bands. That's right. We lived in a town called Bedford, which Tom came from there as well. He will. Yeah, yeah. It's Bedford, Mordor. They're pretty similar. On right move, not nice places. But one of the good things about Bedford is you could get to London on the train. Yes. So me and my friends would regularly go into London to watch uh, punk bands, and there was a certain type. Of bands in this is the mid 90s, before many of you were born, uh, that came from California that would play kind of very tuneful, very high speeds uh, and punk. And they would do a 40 minute gig, play 20 songs, and that'd be it. Great fun. And to the uninitiated, it looked like chaos. In fact, to a few of the initiated, it looked like chaos. But they were actually uh, very skilled musicians playing relatively complex rock music at high speed whilst charging around the stage. Wonderful. Uh, And as a live show, magnificent. Great. Uh, And uh, I remember my first gig in particular, the first band that came on. Just it was a a moment as a 15-year-old in a dingy, sweaty little club in the middle of London. This band uh, played um, at this very high speed. And I realised that they were a very tight unit, okay, so go with me on this. Very, very tight unit. There were no divas in this band. It wasn't like watching a, a jazz group. Jazz, I just, I can't stand the stuff. But it wasn't like watching a jazz group where the saxophonist would go off and play a 40-minute solo while the drum and the bass would do the same thing for ages while they got all the credit. And, the, and It was nothing like that. It was the whole band together. No slaying lead guitarist. No individual stealing the limelight from the rest of the band. One unit. Absolutely fascinating. Really very thrilling. And I was reading through 1 Corinthians 14 this week, and they popped into my head. Hopefully, there was. Yeah, that's, that was the band. That was a lag wagon, the first banner. This is important stuff, Kay. That was a lag wagon. And they would play a song at really high speed. Then they would pause for a split second. The whole band would jump in the air, and then they'd land and start playing again. Like Busted. You what? Like Busted. Right, I'm throwing you out of the church right now. Yes, like Busted, but they invented it. Vicky, they invented it. I'm going to edit that out of the uh, MP3, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, yeah, so like Busted, they would jump in the air land to start playing the music again. Wonderful. That is entirely ruined by morning. <laughs> but I was reading uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and this band popped into my head. Lagwagon, not Busted. And, uh, and what we read in this is actually Paul, who wrote this letter in Corinthians, was trying to get this church to play together, to be a unit. A community that was actually thrilling, exciting, very powerful, but there were no individuals stealing the limelight from each other. They were one unit that were meant to be in sync together, not competing against each other. So you may be thinking, Tim, are you saying the church is like a punk band? Well, maybe, but perhaps a a huge orchestra would be a better way of thinking about it, where there is big power in the group together, making uh, music which is very well organised and very well laid and all put together and structured. Uh, And then you can't have one of those just go off and decide to do their own thing, one of those musicians. There is power in the group, not in the individuals. And so we're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians 14 today, but the last few verses... Of this passage, really sum it up very nicely, it says, "So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order and that is a summary of everything that is written in 1 corinthians 14 now it 's easy to dig into the detail, and we, we will in a moment, and we 'll look at what 's going on here, but actually, to start with, you need to step back and look at the big picture of what he was talking about because actually I think the big picture of 1 Corinthians 14 is hugely exciting and a big challenge to us today in Manchester a couple of thousand years after Paul wrote this letter as we think about our own church we think about the things that we want to see God do in our city and in Europe actually this is really important stuff because we see Paul trying to describe a church that encounters God spiritually encounters God's and has impact on the whole city, and how that can work, how that is even possible, how, we get, how this church, how we as a church can receive spiritual gifts, and individually, so you think I will receive some spiritual gifts, I'll get to use them, but I'll use them in a way that serves other people in the church, that serves the city the church is in, is in sync with those around us. Okay, so how does Paul think that that is possible? Well, firstly, he describes a church that loves. So the first verse of 1 Corinthians 14, he starts off by saying, pursue love, then earnestly desire these gifts, but pursue love. And Paul often comes back to this idea of love. Love. Actually, in a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, look, if you speak with the tongues of men and angels, and we'll talk a bit more about what these tongues are in a moment, but have not love, you are like a clanging symbol." So somebody who uses their spiritual gift, but does it in a way that doesn't care about anybody around them, is showing off a little bit, actually just wants to be heard, doesn't want to serve, they are like a clanging symbol. Actually, there's a, a famous story in my, in my family, kind of, you know, your families over years have the stories that keep getting told. Well, when we were kids, we were uh, part of a church. There was, um, there was like five 600 people in this church. Uh, and this church went through a phase where there was one particular guy who would bring his symbols to church. Like, it just sat in a congregation, like, no, don't take ideas from this, this is not allowed here. Um, but they, they, he brought cymbals, and at the right moment of a song, he would hammer these cymbals together, and you could see old church turn around and look at him. But one week, he did it right behind my brother's head. My brother was only about eight, and uh, it took about a week to stop crying and shaking. It was wonderful. But, uh, but that's a clanging cymbal, isn't it? Uh, there wasn't a lot of love when he did that, it was not for my brother anyway. But if we prophesy, Paul says, if we have big faith for stuff, if we're really generous with our money but we don't do it with love, then actually we have nothing. And the culture of a church, Paul is describing, actually is absolutely vital. The culture of the church is the way we treat each other, the behaviour we expect of each other. That's really important. So if on a Sunday, we have a Sunday service, And we have lots of Holy Spirit activity, maybe people praying out, prophesying over each other. Perhaps we're really good at looking after the poor in our church life. Perhaps we give away stacks of cash. Perhaps we're really good at planting churches. But if you do that without love, then it is a bit of a waste of time. So Beth talked on this last week. uh, So it's worth having a listen to her talk on the podcast. Um, So I won't go over it loads. But this is Paul's context very often. Is he wants to come back to this idea that churches love each other. And Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth to construct this, okay, to, to rebuild. Okay, you actually need to look after and look out for each other, to love and be kind to each other. That is orderly and decent, as he describes. And Paul is very passionate about church unity. Okay? And church unity sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But uh, unity has to be around something. So a church uh, could be unified around their desire to look after the poor, for example. Uh, Perhaps the church is unified around the certain type of music that they like in their Sunday. But actually, the only unity that is worth anything is to be around the resurrected Son of God. That's what he's trying to get them uh, to understand. Okay, You have to be unified, you have to love, and it has to be around Jesus. And that's what we want for us as a church as well. So uh, Paul then goes on and describes, okay, this is how you do that a little bit. So a church that loves, well, how do you do that? Well, firstly, you are a church that is desperate for God. So he says, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So it seems this church in Corinth was somewhat chaotic, shall we say. They squabbled over leadership, who who they thought the cool leaders were. They squabbled over sin and how to deal with different sins. They squabbled over communion. They had a situation where the rich people would turn up first for the communion service, eat all the food, drink all the wine, and then the poor people would turn up from work and have nothing left. So they argued about that. Uh, They squabbled over how to run a church service. Uh, It seems very much like they gathered like we do to pray, to worship, to be taught, to hear from God and they would squabble over that as well. Uh, And this could have been because they were a new church, lots of new Christians, a little bit immature. I think some um, different theologies had creeped into the church. Lots of things were going on there. And in this picture of chaos, of disorganised church, of a church that was competing against each other, arguing with each other, it would have been very easy for Paul to write a different letter to them, wouldn't it? He could have written, You lot are a nightmare let's really, let's just unpack this, let's keep it simple, no more fancy stuff, no more spiritual gifts, no more prophetic stuff, let's keep things quiet, well organised until you lot have grown up a little bit and because you can't handle it, clearly you can't handle it and actually you'd think well maybe there is some logic to that just to calm everything down again, it's very easy to think okay let's just be safe, let's be sensible, I am, I get quite annoyed with the weatherman on local news. I don't know if anybody else does that, but I do. Um, because he ends every weather forecast by saying, stay safe, everyone. I'm like, what are you talking about? Stay safe, we want a life that's more interesting than just being safe all the time. Anyway, that's just a side issue. Uh, and Paul could easily have done that. He could have ended it by saying, just stay safe all the time. But actually, he suggests a much more radical way He He says that you need to love each other. And as Beth explained last week, love is, is charity. It's looking out for each other. It's putting others above ourselves. And it's a huge statement, really, to so say you've got to love each other, but also go after spiritual gifts. Okay? Also step out in faith. Also see what God wants to do amongst you. And it's a big statement about what church is. We are meant to look after each other, to look out for each other. Serve each other. We are meant to put other people above ourselves. We are meant to copy the life that Jesus lived as we read the Gospels. That's how he lived. He loved others. He served them. He put his own life beneath the life of everyone else, even to the point of death. And that is how we are to behave. And when you think, oh, how am I supposed to treat this person in church? If they're a bit awkward, they're a bit different to me, how, what, how do I relate to them? Well, you relate to them by putting their wants and needs above your own. That is the call for us. That's what Paul wanted. That's how we're meant to behave. But we are also something else as well. As the church, we are also the connection point between heaven and earth. Okay, And that's what the church is. So Jesus, actually, when he taught us to pray... He said, okay, this is how you pray. You say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray, we become that connection point between heaven and earth. When we are together as the universal church, as the community of CCM, actually, we are a little of a connection point between heaven and earth. I wonder if you think about that. You think, well, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. Actually, really, we are gathering together to be God's representatives On earth, to be heaven on earth. So when he describes that, when he says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, he's saying, Look, this is the moment you get to do that. This is the moment, actually, we get to have some of God with us. This is the moment where heaven comes down, when the Spirit is with us, it's on earth as it is in heaven. We are asking for the kingdom of God to advance when we eagerly desire spiritual gifts. We're asking for the world to be restored and renewed when we eagerly desire prophecy. We are asking for God to move in power. We are asking for heaven on earth. So there is a question for us in this, and that just in that first verse. Do you love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts? Do you earnestly desire? Are you desperate to see God move for heaven to be on earth? Actually, it's a huge question to ask yourself. He says, earnestly desire. He's saying, look, there is something more, something that is unusual, something perhaps that you don't see at Tesco's or in your job or in just in the normal way of life. There is something that points to God that he wants to give you, that is available to you, that is gifted to you. And not only is it available to us, but it is something we are allowed to earnestly desire. In fact, we're encouraged, want this. Now, at the end of this month, it is my birthday. And in my family, uh, we make it very clear what we want for our birthday. And I I earnestly desire a number of things that I want. And I really, I actually, I want them. Not every year, but this year, I've got things that I want. And, And in my family, we tell each other, I don't want surprises the thought does not count in my family, okay? If you think, oh, the thought, it's the thought that counts, I'll buy him this, he'll like it. No, I won't, okay? I will tell you the things that I want, then you buy them, and if you can't, just give me the money. Those are the rules. So Vicky's family works differently. So every year we get stuff from Vicky's family, I'm like, I don't want that. Well, I don't know why you've given me. I did not earnestly desire those things. We are to earnestly desire these gifts. We are allowed to want them. And we will pray a bit this morning, and we'll pray for you if you want that. But the question needs considering in your mind. It is genuinely a thing to think about. Do I want this? Do I earnestly desire? And Paul wants them to particularly prioritise the prophetic, and we'll, we'll look at why that is in a moment. Um, but really, to understand this big picture first, we want God to move in our city. We want God to move in Manchester. I think about all of the sites that we have planted, that we will plant. I think about you and your jobs. I think about you and your friendship groups, your families. I want to see God move in those places. I want him to use me and him to use you. That is the big picture in this passage. So we see a church that loves, a church that is desperate for God's, And then Paul describes in all of this, this is how we serve each other, okay? This is how actually when you're desperate for these spiritual gifts, you really want God to move. Actually, how then do you serve each other in that? How do you make this work out in church life? And Paul gives us a few practical outlines. So let's read a few verses here. After verse one, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, their encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be built up. Okay, first couple of Technical points, so we're all on the same page. Tongues, very old-fashioned word, means languages, effectively. So when you speak in languages, and Paul is describing a spiritual gift where you speak in a heavenly language, okay? A language that, to the average human, makes no sense whatsoever. So I can speak in tongues. I was prayed for when I was a kid and have been able to speak in tongues since then. So I could, if I wanted, stand in front of you now and speak in tongues. I'm not going to do that because Paul describes why well, you shouldn't do that, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but you, that's what the spiritual gift is. But you can also. Uh, Speak in an earthly language as well. So uh, sometimes here are stories, and I know a few of my friends this has happened to where they've been praying. They think they're praying in uh, the gift of tongues in a heavenly language, and then someone has been stood next to them and said, How do you know my language? How have you been able to do that? Uh, And God has just given them maybe a phrase or two in another language. And we see that happening in Acts 2. So that would be the, the, the gift of tongues. And when he talks about prophecy, well, that's very simple. You feel like God is telling you something about someone to encourage them. It's, it's that simple. Or maybe about a situation or maybe over a, a group or a church or something like that. But God is telling you something. And he, he can speak in a lots of different ways. So he might tell you something through reading your Bible. Something might really leap out at you and you think, oh, that's for this person. Uh, it could be just a thought or a picture in your minds, whatever it might be. Could also be a dream in the night. Uh, My my Vicky, my wife, once, uh, it was a number of years ago, uh, woke in the night with a really bad stomach pain, really bad stomach pain, uh, and she prayed and the pain went. But she felt as she was praying, God said to her, look, this is for someone in your church you should bring this on a sunday say that what happened you woke in the night with a stomach pain and that there is someone here with a stomach issue and you want to pray for them so vicky being obedient did that next sunday uh, she stood at front of church and explained what happened said i think there's someone here with a some issue with their stomach i'd really love to pray for them and then um, a lady came up to her afterwards who was pregnant and the baby I think it was something to do, I don't I can't remember what it was, uh, but the baby was in the wrong position. Uh, there was something to do with the placenta that was causing a lot of pain. Actually, the doctors were really concerned, um, but Vicky prayed for them. The pain went, the baby was fine. The baby is now a 20-year-old chap that we know. Um, but that was God's communicating with Vicky. Very simply, I'm going to give you a word a picture, a dream. It will encourage and help someone else. These gifts as Paul describes them, are to serve, are to love. And the Corinthian church, as Paul wrote to it, it sounds like they'd gotten a bit competitive, a bit chaotic, a bit messy. They weren't serving each other. And we use all of these gifts we have to to serve others. So I think of um, some friends of mine who are very talented musicians and I'm often saying to them, I want you to play in public. You're so good. You've got a gift. You, it would serve others if people could hear you play, if they could uh, see what you're good at, hear your songs, hear you sing, whatever it might be. And I often say, "What well, you're just playing on your own. What's the point of that? Play, entertain us and serve us. And I think in a, in a funny way, the spiritual gifts are the same. There's no point just holding it to yourself and sitting on it. They are to be used to serve, to help us grow. Now, as Paul talks about this, he says, but look, the gift of tongues, gift of languages, I want you to understand, this is a very personal thing. It's, it's for one who speaks in tongues, speaks not to men, but to God, is what he says, for no one understand him. And Paul is saying, look, it's a very personal gift. Uh, It can be used in public. He says, look, if you use it in public, perhaps only two or three of you uh, to use it in one particular service. And then someone interpret that as well. And I think he was talking about this because the Corinthian church, it sounds like they were all praying out in tongues at the same time. Just shouting over the top of each other, uh, which just sounds like chaos. Now we have in, in our church actually in the, in the evening service uh, there is a lady that part of that comes along and a couple of times she has prayed out in a tongue and it's been very powerful and whoever was hosting has stood up and said okay that was brilliant thank you very much we're now going to wait for someone to interpret uh, and if anyone here feels like God has told them what was prayed out there if you could just pray that as well that would be brilliant and uh, it's not like we waited for hours silently. Actually, someone very quickly then prayed out, Uh, and it was very worshipful, very powerful, very biblical prayer, and it really served the church. Both times, really powerful moments. So Paul is saying that is good and fine, but if you're all shouting out at the same time, there is no use in that. It's not helpful. It doesn't serve us. But he's saying, look, eagerly desire, especially the gift of prophecy, especially that, and I think it's because it is so simple. I think God is saying, look, if you, God says something to you, you bring it, you bring it for someone, and then together we decide whether it's accurate, whether it's right, and then we pray about it. It's really easy to look after each other with that gift. It's a much more public, much more easy to understand. And then finally, Paul has a different group in mind. He says, look, these, we should serve each other as we do this, but also we should serve the visitors who are amongst us, the strangers, he says, And that's always a question for me. Whenever uh, this happens in church, whenever uh, we see God move in this way, I'm always thinking, what, what does the new person think? How are they understanding this? How does the visitor feel? Does it freak them out? Is it making them uncomfortable? Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing that they are made to feel uncomfortable with this because sometimes when God moves, that can be an uncomfortable thing, right? But they should understand what's happening. I think that's important. And I often think there's, there's always somebody in the room who either has been from God, away from God for a long time or perhaps has never met God before. And So I want them to understand what's going on. And actually, Paul gives us a bit of a challenge for this. Verse 20 said, uh, 24, Sorry, he says, If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And in this, he's comparing the very personal gift of languages, which he says that's between men and God and we're not all meant to really understand what's happening, and the prophetic gift, where he says, actually, a prophetic word can reveal your heart, can help point you towards Jesus, can call you back to him. I remember a number of years ago, I was at a church and a friend of mine um, was looking around the room and felt God speak to him about uh, someone who was there, who he'd never met before, never seen before. And uh, and so he was very brave, my friend. So he went to the front, uh, got the microphone and uh, he pointed at this person and said, God has told me that you have been on a very long journey to get here. And then he bought some stuff. I can't remember the other things that he bought. But in talking to him afterwards, it turns out that this bloke, who was a visitor, a stranger in the room, was homeless and had walked 20 miles to get to church that day. Um, just because he felt he should be there, that he felt he should go. So he had been on a very long journey, but his heart was open at that. He felt like God was speaking to him individually and specifically. And so the other words that were brought were really encouraging to him. It was very helpful. He could see, as Paul described, that God is really among you. It's a powerful moment. prophetic word can do that. Now, if we bring a word over someone, we can do it uh, in a gentle way. We can be very kind. We don't need to embarrass them. Uh, If somebody brings a word over you at CCM and they start naming and calling out sins over you or anything like that, you come and tell me. I will make them stop. We are here to look after each other. As Paul describes it, we uh, build each other up. We encourage each other. We console each other. That's what we do when we prophesy. And as Jesus asked he said, look, pray for heaven on earth. That's quite a thing when, when you think about it. Actually, when you eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, you are asking for heaven to be a bit on earth at the moment. In Manchester, it's a, you think Manchester is 2022. Actually, in all that is going on in the world, we can say, Lord God, would it be on earth like it is in heaven? Lord, would you speak to me, perhaps a little bit like you will speak to me in heaven so that I can love and serve others? It's a very powerful thing. When we gather, as we ask God to move, as we serve each other, as we look at those around us who are new, perhaps uh, to us in CCM, perhaps uh, they're non-believers, whatever they might be, actually we are called to ask God to move, to see his kingdom move. So as Paul summarises again, like we read at the beginning, he says, earnestly desire to prophesy, do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. And my conviction in reading this, and I felt this in myself, and I thought, yeah, I should say this this morning, is I think we have prioritised decency and good order, but we've perhaps forgot to earnestly desire. We prioritise decency and good order, you are a decent good people, But I think we forget to earnestly desire. I think we are meant to go for all three. We think it's a bit of a trade-off. If you earnestly desire, that means things are going to get chaotic and messy. Actually, no. I think uh, when we go after God, he wants it to be understandable. He wants it to be loving and kind. But he wants us to chase after him as well.